You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. We're getting the band back together, getting the boys who rock to rock again. We're getting the band back together, in the midst of a place that remembers when some punks from the suburbs lit the sky with too much reverb. Getting the band back together. Hey everybody, it's Ken Davenport, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to the Producers Perspective podcast. You're now listening to a special mini-series, the Producers Perspective podcast, live from the pandemic. These are recordings directly from the Facebook Live series I started during the coronavirus pandemic, where every single night I interviewed a Broadway luminary and chatted about what they were going through, how they were dealing with it, and what they expected Broadway and theater to look like when it was all over. So join us for this very special episode of the Producers Perspective podcast, live from the pandemic. We have a very special guest, someone that I'm very happy to uh, not only call a peer, uh, but also a friend. She is a Broadway veteran for over 20 years. I mentioned him in the introduction, but Legally Blonde, Elf, Wicked, Book of Mormon here in the U.S., and the West End. In fact, one day I just bumped into her on the sidewalk in London, just walking down the street. It was like, oh, hey, that's Brett. So let's bump into her now on the live stream. Please welcome Asbaret Gabriel McCall. Hey, it's Ken. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, and I hope it's pulling back the curtain on this business of Broadway. If you're looking to learn more about what makes this industry tick, go to my website, kendavenport.com, and sign up for my weekly newsletter. I'll send you one email a week, one article about what I'm seeing, trends, insights, marketing ideas on what's happening on Broadway right now. That's kendavenport.com. Hope to see you there and in your inbox. I forgot that we bumped into each other in London. That's right. Oh my God. That's so funny. That goes down in history as one of the most like bizarro moments I've ever had in the world. Like I'm walking down the street and I literally see her like, oh, hey. And then the freak out begins because you're seeing yeah. someone, what, 7,000 miles away from where yeah. you are. You spent a lot of time there. I did. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I was there. I did Dreamgirls there for almost two years. And then I was there for Book of Mormon in 2016. And I did, I was there for like six months. Wow. So yeah. we're going we're gonna to talk about a lot of things tonight. But tell me just first, you, you worked on Broadway for a very long time and then you went to London. How, what are the differences for the scene for a performer? Did you enjoy it more? What the social scene, everything about it. How did it differ from here? Um, well, I mean, I loved it. That that had been a dream of mine. And so the fact that I got to do it twice was insane. Getting to perform on a on a London stage was amazing. And so much fun to be doing those shows in particular. Uh, so let's talk about how you got to London. Let's go start at the beginning. So uh, tell me the origin story. So where did you first get bit by the theater bug? How did it happen for you? Well, I always loved performing as a little kid. I mean, I would make up songs and torture my younger sister into making her do these performances with me. Um, but <laughs> I think I think when I was, I was 11 or 12 and I went to New York uh, with a group from my dance studio and we'd seen a bunch of shows. I saw, I remember seeing Andy Blankenbuehler in Guys and Dolls. I had, you know, I'd met him at around the dance competition circuit. Um, and I saw Vanessa Williams starring in Kiss of the Spider Woman. 
and we got to meet her up, you know, afterwards. And I was like, there's a woman that looks like me who's front and center singing and dancing and acting. And she's, you know, she's wearing these incredible costumes and I can do that. Um, I already, I knew I loved to dance and I loved to sing, but I remember going home after that trip and writing down on paper, I'm gonna go to New York University and I'm going to be on Broadway. You, you were 11 or 12, you went home and you wrote it down on a piece of paper? Yes, we had, it was like a school project or something. And I only knew about NYU because of the Cosby show, because Theo Huxtable went to NYU. So it's like, well, that obviously that's where I'm gonna go to school. Of course, Theo's gonna be there. If Theo can do it, I can do it. Yeah, Theo's gonna uh, be there. Theo could do it, you definitely could do it. He yeah, see, exactly. <laughs> like, actually, that's so funny because it brings up a very poignant point you learned about NYU. NYU changed your life, right? Because of a television show, yes. which is really, and Cosby show aside for the moment, what we know now, but right. the arts or entertainment had a massive impact on you and your life, which is now having a massive impact on a whole bunch of other people. Yeah, This goes to show you how important the work that entertainers do and the entertainment industry does to change people's lives. Oh, for sure. I mean, that's, I can remember watching TV with my kids from a very, from my kids. Whoa, no. Um, with my parents. Well, I haven't I, seen you in a little bit of time. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 nothing, nothing new to report. Um, <laughs> uh, God, that was weird. Um, I remember watching as a kid with my parents, um, you know, watching Saturday Night Live and watching these blooper shows and, and, and learning that I, that I, I could do impressions. I mean, I couldn't really, but I started doing impressions of people. And I, I, I just watched everything and absorbed it all. I loved comedy. Um, I loved sitcoms. Um, and, you know, obviously the Cosby show had a huge effect in where I went to school. Uh, and that's the other thing that what my first experience with you as a performer was not in any of these big Broadway shows. Right. It was in this small improv show called Don't Quit Your Night Job, which was a late night event. Uh, and I remember just like leaning forward and watching you totally commit to whatever crazy scene it was uh, and thinking and hearing you were in the ensemble of a bunch of shows and thinking yeah. like, that's, that's not an ensemble performer right there. That's, that, that's different. So you went to NYU. How quickly did you get on Broadway? How quickly did that piece of paper dream come true? Well, so I actually went to NYU to study communications because I told my parents that I wanted to be a performer and they were like, that is great news. What are you studying in school? <laughs> like, what did they do? Uh, well, they're both retired now, but my mother uh, was just recently retired and my father is an electrical engineer. And in fact, they came over to America for education. So there was no way that I was like, you know, <laughs> go off, you know, just go off and start performing and not get a college degree. Um, so I convince them because there's a lot of people I'm sure watching a lot of young people watch this yeah. going like I'm going to have that conversation with my parents like next week. What what did you say? What should they say? I mean, I'm a crazy person. So what I said was, yeah, I'll go to school for, for you know, something academic and just be in New York and take class and audition, which was like, you know, I, I don't think they thought that my second semester of my freshman year, I would get my first Broadway show and that I would stay. Yeah. You don't know. Oh, it's so funny. Yeah. So I, so I, um, when was this? It's 99. Huh. Okay. It was Footloose. I went to NYU, but 
Oh, that's right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I just, I, I got an academic scholarship to NYU. I got a partial scholarship. I was um, admitted into the Martin Luther King Jr. Scholars Program. So I was to keep a 3.5 GPA every semester and do 30 hours of community service. Oh, yeah. And so I, I, said I was going to study communications. I was in the school of ed and it actually worked to my advantage because I didn't, you know, I could still audition. And, and since I got a show, I could leave, I could do my classes and go Did, you know, I think, I think with the Tish kids, they, they weren't allowed to audition. Right. So I had, I had auditioned for Footloose um, a few times before that Mark Myers and I grew up together in the same dance studio. And he had gotten, he got the show, he got the workshop and then and then he moved to, to Broadway with the show. So he was the dance captain and I had auditioned a few times, didn't get it. One Thursday afternoon, there was a, a last minute call for an immediate replacement. And that was it, it was like my fourth audition. I remember Walter Bobby and Doug Katsaros and everyone just so happy to see me again. I was just this bright eyed, bushy tailed kid, teenager, you know? And I remember at the end of the audition, you know, they asked if I could roller skate. And I was like, yes, of course I can. Couldn't, I was terrified. Um, and they thanked me for coming in. And then two hours later, I got the call. So my entire second semester of, of my freshman year, I was going to school during the day and then going to the dressing room, I was a swing. So I covered nine tracks. And when I wasn't on, I was upstairs studying or working on papers or. Well, talk a little bit about, I mean, you've auditioned for a lot of shows throughout your career. Yes. Uh, any tips out there for performers who are in those moments and get nervous or how do you, how do you show up and, and be you in those moments? I, I think that it's important to remember why you're there and that you love it so much. Um, and I think that being you, and sometimes that, that can that can put you in your head. Um, but I but really just being yourself and I think I think people just want to see your personality. I think I think you know I they, they saw this kid coming in three and four times and every time I just had this smile on my face. I was so excited. I was working really hard, you know and I I was persistent. I was persistent and I was friendly and I think if you if if it's if it's clear that you love it, that's that's probably the biggest the the biggest uh, thing you can do. Was it everything your twelve year old heart and mind thought it would be? Like, what was it like when you were finally there and living it now and living the life? How how was it? How did it exceed your expectations? How did it not? I was kind of thrown into the fire by by swinging nine tracks, and in, and in a show like Footloose, I was I went on for every single track. Um, I even, you know, pushed scenery for some of the male tracks when when we yeah, were down. Yeah, if you never played any of the boys. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I I had I had a couple of girlfriends, a couple Beaumont High School girlfriends as some of the male tracks in the show. Um, so that was that was super exciting, and I, I you know because I I wasn't I didn't originate that show. There were it wasn't until years later when I was part of an original cast that I felt that excitement, which is a little bit different, but certainly the first time I went on and the first time I ever went on for Rusty and, and saying, let's hear it for the boy, I was completely terrified, you know, um, but, but you never forget that. You never forget those, those first moments. Um, and so it, I think it, it did, it exceeded, it exceeded my expectations. And, and I think there's always that excitement 
you know, your first performance or the first preview or the, the invited dress, which is one of my favorites and the sits pro, you know, I think that every experience that I've had has had one highlight. I'll ask you one of my James Lipton questions. Okay. So of all the shows that you performed in and, and all the roles you performed in, if you could only take like one moment from your entire performing career and like freeze that moment and put it in the Smithsonian Institute to represent your favorite memory, what would it be? Oh, okay. I have two. Is that okay? Just one. Damn it. Okay. Yeah, um, <laughs> I'm wishing for more wishes. It's like, I the, know. The, the if I write it down, I'll get it. Um, right. Then I would say, singing, um, oh baby, I got a show to do, at the end of the rap in Dreamgirls. No. The, 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 whole, the whole rap and that, that particular moment. And then that, just that fierce walk off stage. <laughs> and what was the other moment? The line that I have at the end of the Book of Mormon in my original track, named Asmaret after me, uh, or I say, you don't think a man actually after frog, do you? That's nothing stupid. When, like our invited dress, I think just the laugh, the laugh that I got after that. And that was that your line? Did you say that? You came up with that? No, no. What the f is a steak knife? Is the line I came up with? <laughs> I actually did. That huh. was another favorite moment of that show. I just said the f word a lot in Mormon. Yeah. That's basically, you know. Uh, we'll see if the Smithsonian will allow that in. Yeah. Allow the <laughs> we we'll certainly allow it fucking here at the producer's perspective. Oh, good, good, good. I was like, I don't know what I could say. <laughs> Great, perfect, because that's my favorite word. So, <laughs> uh, so listen. So, in in the midst of everything that's happened over the last couple of weeks, a few um, a week or two ago now, I'm scrolling through my Instagram, uh, and uh, I see Josh Gad's Instagram. And I'm a fan of Josh, and I follow him. Yeah. I, don't really, I don't really watch all his videos. Don't tell him. I, he reads to kids sometimes. It's great. But um, <laughs> your, your face and name popped up, and I was like, oh, it's, it's Az. So, so I'm going to listen. And I did. And for those of you who haven't seen this video, I urge you to watch it. There's a – and um, <laughs> Harry will throw up. It's such a great shot there. I love Harry it. Will, will throw up in, uh, the link – uh, to it in our chat. Um, I, it's been viewed like almost 100,000 times now. It's, it's an incredible video. Uh, and part of it is this, because of this image, there's friendship and joy and laughter and tears and authentic truth. And the, the line that really woke me up a bit and slapped me in the face was you saying you were tired mm -hmm. and, and too tired. Uh, and it, it just really grabbed me in many, many places, my heart, my head, everywhere. And I really leaned into that Instagram and listened. Uh, and it was really the beginning for me. And I thank you. So I want to thank you for that. Uh, and also it was shortly thereafter um, that I noticed these pop up on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> show these. Yes. If you can figure out how to make banana bread, you can find James Baldwin. And if you can grill basil in your kitchen now, you can Google Tony Morrison. And this is what has so, I, I think I've probably always been taken by you since that very first Don't Quit Your Night Job experience I had, like somehow leaning in and saying this person is special because there's 
such a combination of education and activism and irony and a little humor and all of that in those quotes. Uh, and they work. Like that's what's amazing is that they, they work and are so powerful. I leaned in again. I want you to know that I Googled like right away. I learned because of course, Toni Morrison, wow. Toni Morrison was my, uh, I do these whiteboard quotes in the morning. She was my quote this morning. It just was su such a successful moment of, again, education uh, and activism and inspiration. Tell me where, what motivated you to say, where did you come up with You know, it, it, after the conversation with Josh and he, he had called me that morning and we were just talking about everything that's going on. And, and um, you know, I'd had a hard few days before our conversation. And then, you know, upon speaking with other black people, they were having a hard time too. Like there was a, there was a day where I stayed in bed, you know, I was just tired um, from seeing all this footage of, of, of people being killed and, and reading George Floyd's last words, you know, and, and we had just gone through Ahmaud Arbery a few, a few months prior to that. So it just felt so draining on top of the fact that we're dealing with this global pandemic. Um, so when so Josh and I got on the phone and he was saying, you know, th th if there's anything I can do, I'd love to use my platform to to really, you know, share share your story and and amplify your voice. And I, I was like, yeah, sure, you know, like coffee and like we'll do this sometime, you know. And um and I got and I started saying, I made this point about being tired. I said, you know, because people were reaching out and saying, let me know what I can do and. Um, let me know if there's anything I can read, you know, to, to learn more about this. And, and I said, Josh, we're tired as a people, black people are tired of, of, you know, being asked this. And so that was actually the impetus for him to want to go live that day. He's like, do you want to just go live? And I was like, yeah, I guess I, you know, I didn't think anyone would care to hear what I had to say. I didn't know what I was going to say, but because Josh and I are such good friends and I felt so comfortable with him you were able to see the humor and the vulnerability and the candor. You know, I, I don't remember half the stuff that I said, which is probably for the best, but um, it was after that, that I, you know, I, I, I was just watching all of these people post these things and watering their plants and, and making all this bread. And, you know, I thought we were done eating bread also. I thought like, you know, we were a protein society and then everyone's making bread during the pandemic. Um, and so I was doing a post on my Instagram feed and I, and that's where I came up with it. I was just trying to um, post this conversation. And so it was just sort of an addendum. I said, you know, there, you know, there are plenty of resources. If you can figure out how to make banana bread, you can easily find James Baldwin or whatever. And I got off the phone and Nika Lanzaroni had texted me the meme. She had already made it. She works that fast. I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> because, you know, and then I was seeing, I, you know, and then I, then the basil thing I, I came up with later when I was talking to Ingrid Michelson, who's a good friend of mine, and I had sent her the banana bread quote as well. Um, and, you know, because I think it's, it's, we are, black people are tired. We're dealing, we're dealing with the trauma on our own and, and racism is not a trend. So, so, this information has been around for years. We've been experiencing these emotions for years. And, you know, it's like now it's 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 on you to do the work. You do it. You you know, you read the books, you watch the documentaries. Um, 
you know, if you can learn these like Megan the Stallion dances on TikTok, you got time to like to you know. <laughs> yeah, I think that thing of you know I talk about this a lot in people who want to write scripts or do anything. If you want something bad enough, you will go. You will take action and do it. Yeah. And that's what, of course, because my that was my first reaction too, just like Josh and I'm sure like a lot of like, oh, I want to find out what I can do. Let me and yeah. You, if I want something in my life, if I want it badly enough, I just sit down and do it. Uh, right. And that's what obviously you're reminding us. And it, it just hit home for me. Yeah. Uh, so well, I, I, too, I think like, I think this is the, the, you know, the artist scholar kid, you know, this is the, this is the performing arts kid who went to NYU. I feel like the, the memes are sort of, a, a, they're, they're my voice, you know, they, they, they reflect all of my, my background. You know, the nerdy kid and the kid that, you know, watched the Cosby show. <laughs> I got to stop watching the Cosby show. I got to. <laughs> you're, you're actually helping the brand a little bit. <laughs> At least it's a little. Uh, Inspirational or something. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, so after Josh, then you wrote an op-ed for Broadway News, mm -hmm. which, another, which is another powerful piece. We have. We have that. So did, how did this come about? Was this, did they reach out to you? Was this, what, tell uh, us a little bit about this. I was approached by a friend of mine who had, who had been approached by the editor in chief over at Broadway News. Um, it was, I guess the conversation I had with Josh was on a Tuesday and then on Wednesday morning, uh, my friend reached out to me and said, hey, there's this opportunity. Are you, interested in, in telling your story. And so I panicked first, and then I said, yes, I'll do it. And I had no idea what I was gonna talk about. You know, I, I, had, I had watched Matthew's um, video and my friend, my friend Cody Richard had, had written a post on Facebook, my friend Warren Adams, you know, I was, I was seeing friends of mine speak out and being and being really vulnerable and really honest, and I I was you know I, I had been ruminating over some things, but I didn't know exactly what I wanted to say, so I refrained from saying anything for a while. And then this opportunity came up, and I remember I said yes. I hung up the phone and I worked out. And I tend to get thoughts when I'm either on the subway or exercising or something. And so I was like mm -hmm. doing whatever you know burpees or whatever I was doing, and it started to come to me. You know, it's like, what is my perspective? I've been the token all, all, you know, all of my life growing up, you know, at my dance studio, amongst my circles of friends in the, in the musical theater community. What is, you know, what do I want to say? And so it just started to, it just started to come together. And I, that was Wednesday. I wrote, I wrote a draft on Wednesday afternoon and then it was turned around Thursday. I edited Thursday and, and it was out Thursday afternoon. It's like, it was, it's the fastest thing I've ever written in my entire life. Wow. Um, but I think I had just been sitting on years mm -hmm. of experience. And then once you start thinking about those things, then they just start to, to keep coming, you know? Even after I finished, there was stuff that I thought about that happened, um, you know, uh, in, in London even, you know, or you just start thinking and, yeah, it just it just came out of me. Uh, what I love, I have to just mention this again. You yes and did Broadway News. I did. Like, I, 
it's amazing. It's amazing. I mean, it seems like fun, but you have, this is what you do and it is pushing you forward and very important met by just you're presented with an opportunity and you're just taking it and it's good for you. It's good for a lot of people uh, in the world right now because this message is getting out there. Yeah. Uh, and then the, yeah. Yesterday, all of a sudden, a Forbes article pops out. So, yeah, just but before you also said you panicked and you also said you were a little nervous before Josh. Where do you think you summoned up this courage to do this? This is very courageous. These are big things you're saying. You are a performer in the industry who is going to be looking for a job in the next several years. Like, talk a little bit about yeah. why the courage or how the courage came about now. Um. <laughs> I think I've always, I think, well, they say courage is having the fear and doing it anyway, right? So I think that, I think that for me, it's always a split second decision of weighing whether this fear is, is just a fear of being vulnerable and of, of being that exposed, um, or is it something that just does not feel right? I think that's something that I've cultivated especially in the last few years, as you, you know, as you work in the business more and more and you are offered things and, and, you know, most of the time it's timing or, or, you know, but you know, if you're offered, if you're offered a job and you're so used to saying yes to things um, that you do, or you say yes to an audition and you go into this audition and you didn't really, you didn't really want to say yes, but you said it, you said yes anyway, out of fear, then that doesn't go well either. So I, I think in those instances with, with having the talk with Josh and, and with writing this article, with writing this piece, I sat with it for a minute and, and, and you know, not very long because I, I, the turnaround was, was super quick. But um, I think I've gotten, I've gotten really good at knowing intuitively if something is, is, is going to benefit me or if it could benefit someone else. And I think certainly with both of those, in both of those instances, I felt like if I can, if I can inspire one other person to speak out, then then I, then it's been successful. And now that those have been out for a little bit, how how are you? And there is a big Forbes article about you, uh, which is fantastic, and we'll throw that up in the comments as well. How are you? How are you feeling with all of this? I'm. I mean, I'm overwhelmed the, the initial that first day that um that josh and i spoke and then and the day that the article came out i just <laughs> i was overwhelmed by the by the response and the support um and and even as time has gone on you know it's reaching so many people you know because of people like josh and people like you and and you know friends of mine who are supporters i i've i felt so supported and so um encouraged to keep speaking out. You know, I've gotten messages from, from, from people in the business and not in the business who have thanked me for my perspective, because really, you know, Josh and I touched on this on our in our conversation, but you could fill that blank in with any profession. It's not just the performing arts. So I think, I think that what I've learned and what, you know, it's something that, you know, but you sometimes it's worth repeating is that there's such universal themes. I think that's why shows work because if you're touching on a universal theme, it's it's going to touch more people than you realize. How much do you feel 
theater and arts will play a role in the changes needed in this country and the world over the next couple of decades? Well, I think, I think that, I think that people as a collective are listening now. Um, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with, with the government. I, I am hopeful that in the microcosm of theater and the arts, that, that people will start to listen and, and people will start to implement the change and, and, you know, broaden the, the idea of diversity and representation to, to the, to the, the like I say in the, in the article, the theater makers. Um, I think people look to the arts for that kind of inspiration, but I, you know, and I, and I think just as it, as it will, just as it, it needs to happen in, in society. It needs to start from the top, you know? Mm. Um, I'm hopeful. I really am hopeful. Just based on the conversations that I've heard and, and even, you know, I, I went to the Broadway Advocacy Coalition Forum as well. Um, just seeing the number of people there, mm. uh, I was inspired, you know? But as lo a lot of people are saying, it's a marathon, not a sprint. So I don't expect to see drastic change overnight. And I hope I hope that it's not drastic. I think that for it to be long lasting, I think, you know, things like this conversations, I think the conversations are important. And I'm seeing, I'm, I, it, feels, it feels different. It feels like people are actively listening. Well, they, I know many people are, and frankly, that's because of you and a lot of the work that you've done. Just so you know, I can tell you that I've heard your name and these articles and videos in more Zoom rooms around the industry over the last uh, several week or, uh, week or so. So I'm so grateful for that because wow. you, I'm so grateful you yes-anded me tonight and came on uh, and that you yes-anded all these opportunities and experience. You didn't need to do any of this. You didn't need to go live with Josh. You didn't need to write that article uh, and you did. Uh, and I personally am so thankful and I, I know there are a lot of people that are so grateful for all the work that you're doing right now. That means a lot, Ken. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you for being here and sharing your stories with us. Yes. Oh, can I just add one thing? Yes, of course. Name my ch the charity that I was that I was oh, going to. Yeah. Um, just really right. quickly, because you know, I mentioned that uh, that you know there were days, and I, there are a lot of there are a lot of people um, who are who are having a hard time, you know, and and self care is is very important, and I'm a huge proponent of therapy. Um, and, you know, we not only lost George, George Floyd, but Breonna Taylor was killed in her home while she was asleep and her killers are, are still haven't been arrested. Um, and I, I think that as as a as a group, women, uh, black women may not feel as valued. You know, I think that that can play that can play on your mind and I, that can mess with your, your psyche. So I just want to say that I would like to um, point out the Loveland Foundation, which was started by Rachel Cargill, who's been very popular on social media, very smart woman. Um, and this organization raises money so that black girls and women all across the country can get therapy for free. Um, I just think there, there's a stigma in the black community around getting help and, and, and mental illness and therapy. And so I think this organization is really important. If you can donate, that would be amazing. But I just think spreading the awareness and you know, sharing posts on social media is is one way you can help. But um, I, I feel very, 
very strongly about that organization. So I just wanted to say that before I left. No, I'm so glad you did. I will certainly make a donation myself. I will urge everyone out there to make a donation as well. Uh, it's certainly something we should all do right now. And it's a great, you know, we're, we're focused. There's so many, so many areas yeah. that need attention and love yeah. and support. And this is one I think you're right, gets overlooked. Yeah. Uh, Self care is so important right now. Uh, thank you again so much for everything Thanks you did. for having me. Thank you. We'll, I hope to bump into you on a sidewalk in this country or London. Me too. Or, I know. Yes, we'll make it happen. Yes, we'll bump we into each other on purpose. Yes, exactly. <laughs> okay. Take care. Bye. Asmarette Gavin McCall, everybody. Thanks again for listening to this very special episode of the Producers Perspective podcast live from the pandemic. If you enjoyed tonight's episode, do us a favor and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And hey, while you're at it, leave us a big standing ovation review, will you? And check out my Facebook page at facebook.com backslash Ken Davenport for more live stream interviews just like this one. Except on the Facebook page, you can actually see our faces. So check it out at facebook.com backslash Ken Davenport. We'll see you there. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.